working with those other uh, council people, other aldermen, to prioritize the projects that we want to do, and uh, and then start doing them. You know, the bottom line is is um, we can talk, 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 but let's just start doing some of it. Pod B N Elections Edition. Here we go from the Play Normal Esports Studio. This is Tyson. And I'm Zach. And today we're going to talk to Chip Frank, a candidate for Ward 4 of Bloomington. But before we start, a quick disclaimer. I am actually the treasurer of Chip's opponent, Julie Emig's campaign. The great thing about local politics is it's not about tribalism. It's about ideas and about the people willing to spend their time on these kind of efforts. So he was willing to talk to us, and I am happy to talk to anyone who wants to give back to their community in that way. We'll open the mic up to Chip in just a second, but first we want to thank Little Beaver Brewery. I am thrilled to have a local business supporting us because local business is the foundation of what makes a city great. Local businesses like Little Beaver Brewery revitalize areas, provide jobs, stimulate the economy, and do a lot of the things that we are talking about here in these PodBN Election Addiction podcasts. And local businesses know that we're in this together. That's why they reached out to support us in this effort that we're doing. And we want to support them, too, by encouraging you to go and check them out. All right. So, Chip, thanks for coming by today. Um, could you uh, start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in Bloomington, and what are you involved in? Okay. Thanks. Hi, guys. Um, Chip Frank. Yeah, I'm born and raised in Bloomington, fourth-generation uh, Frank. And uh, my only time away was when I went away for college and a year after that uh, to kind of see what was uh, going on in the rest of the country. So uh, I know Bloomington normal. Where did you go to college? Went to Indiana University. Okay. What did your, what have your uh, parents been and your, sorry, what have your parents and grandparents and stuff been involved in here? Um, you know, my I'm in the insurance business. I own Cape and Frank Procter & Bowles, and it's a business that dates back to 1876. Uh, my father was also in that. He had started Frank Insurance and had his father join him in that. Prior to that, my grandfather was involved in uh, the Coca-Cola business and uh, Williams Oilomatic, which are two old names that maybe you guys... Uh, don't know you're too young for that but there were uh, some very good businesses back in the day and then um, my great great grandfather uh, ran the the Lafayette apartments or managed them um, and and really don't know much other than that um, should have gotten yeah, more history back yeah it's fine so there used to be a coca-cola facility here? there was a coca-cola bottling plant and uh, my grandfather was uh, uh, sales marketing manager of that and as a uh, child growing up I remember the small eight ounce bottles if you guys uh, can picture that we used to uh, every birthday party he'd bring the coca-cola eight ounces to you know the the party and we'd all have eight ounce coke so uh, bottles you know good old days A, a funny story of that was when my dad was playing baseball uh, in high school, they were playing a doubleheader against uh, Peoria, and uh, as my dad says, it's 100 degrees out, and between games, they were sitting in the shade, 
and uh, my grand, my his father, my grandfather brought a cooler of Coke, Coca Colas for the team, and they're sitting there, and the other team was walking by, and you know, like that looks pretty good. And so my grandfather invited the other team, and and my dad has fond memories of uh, both teams sitting there under the shade tree enjoying a Coca Cola. <laughs> so it's like a commercial, right? That yeah, you, sure. That you see on TV. So huh. you can still see the facade for the old Coca Cola bottling plant over there on the building. Oh, yes, you can. Oh, where was near Southside area of uh, Bloomington? Han- Hannah Drive, I think, is Hannah right, right and, through there. And Morrissey or yeah. Morris, or whichever right get turns those mixed into, up. Yeah. yeah. All right, I'll have to keep an eye out for that. Interesting. Well, now they, they, I like to call it the BN boomerang, where you, you grow up here, you leave and, and come back. There's a lot of, lot of benefit that uh, you, a lot of history, obviously, with the family here in Bloomington, but uh, a lot of opportunity to continue to your career here in the area. Is that kind of how you saw it? It's a, a you know, Bloomington Normal, we've been very blessed. It's a great community. Um, it's, I call it the jewel of the Midwest. And, um, you know, we just have had a lot of opportunity geographically. We've, you know, we ended here, and uh, because of that, with the interstates and uh, the trains, uh, has been very good. State Farm, country, you know, a couple universities, a lot of uh, opportunities. Yeah. So you said you um, you own an insurance business. Correct. Oh, that's a it's a big insurance town. Then, um, how is it being a, a you know, small fish with these big whales uh, around yeah. you. State Farm and Country are two great companies, and um, we're an independent insurance agent, meaning that we represent several carriers. And uh, so, you know, we compete, but we don't compete. You know, how do you compete with State Farm? Um, the uh, the fortunately, Bloomington Normal, the the public are very aware and astute buyers, and. Um, the other professional insurance people around town are very good. So we all find a place, I guess. Yeah. Um, so have you raised a family here? I'm married, have three children, and uh, they're all out of the house now. So that's one reason why I'm uh, going to take, take on, hopefully, the campaign for the city council. Uh, two children that live in the Chicago area, one is married and has a child and another on the way, and then I have a daughter that's a freshman in college. Okay. So what stands out as things, uh, as you were raising them here in Bloomington, things that you really appreciated about the community? It, like I said, I call it the jewel of the Midwest. It's just good family. Um, you know, we've had uh, good economics, um, just a great place to raise a family. I mean, I I remember growing up, uh, you know, we were talking about this the other day. You jump on your bicycle and you're gone for the entire day. Um, you guys may have had that where you were growing up, too. Uh, you know, our parents never were, I don't think they worried about anything. They didn't see us until dinner time. And, um, you know, that's a great place to be able to grow up. Um, we have... Like I said, a couple of university, you know, several, two universities and, and some other colleges that bring opportunities and people from out of, you know, out of Bloomington Normal that we've been able to, uh, a lot of you guys have stayed, and uh, that brings a diverse, a little diversity to the community, and uh, it's just a, you know, just a good place to raise a family. 
Well, as we said, uh, uh, kind of an insurance town is the the label it gets sometimes. So much more than that, uh, as, as you've mentioned as well. But uh, being a small business owner in this in this climate, uh, obviously State Farm was a small business at one point. We have a culture of, of small business success here. What is it about Bloomington Normal that, that creates uh, opportunities for entrepreneurs and small business owners to succeed? Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, Bloomington Normal or the Midwest, but hard work. Uh, you know, nothing is easy nowadays um, you know if, if if it was we'd all be doing it mm-hmm. but um, you know the, you just work hard and um, you know running a small business gives you a good perspective on um, balancing a budget and, and HRs and marketing and finding your place in the marketplace um, so you know all those translate to any size business that you have but um, Bloomington has really provided opportunities for all sorts of businesses just because people here, I think, understand and um, are good buyers. Well, having the opportunity to grow up here, uh, you've seen how the community has changed and, and grown over the years as well. I, I think back to some of the photos I've seen when there was nothing uh, really too much east of here or, or much west of here in particular uh, at Normal Gadgets along Veterans Parkway. Uh, how have you seen the, the community change in, in over your lifespan? Well, um it's totally different, uh, like any community. I mean, yeah. Bloomington is probably Bloomington Normal has probably grown more than a lot of Midwest cities. Um, I remember when veterans went in, and um, there, you know, there was nothing here. Um, you know, my dad will say that when uh, they put the road in. Uh, everybody's, you know, why are you doing that? You know, why are you putting it way out and outside of town? And, um, you know, the uh, forethought of the city council in Bloomington or the planning commission, it's new enough that um, they built this, that road, and look what happened. I mean, you know, the, the, the kind of, that was a, one, a catalyst for growth east of Bloomington. Um, you know, we'd look out uh, our back, you know, look out the back window in a farmland. So um, you still see pockets of that a little bit around town. But, you know, growth is is good. And, and we did a pretty good job, I think, over the years of planning that growth as a community so that it's a pretty organized. Um, you know, I think you'd get arguments from some folks on that. But overall, I think we do a pretty good job on that. I was trying to think of what uh, major things have happened in, in Bloomington. Um, so the the arena was built about 10 years ago. Um, that's something that... Uh, Probably longer than that, but yeah. <laughs> well, okay. Time flies. Time goes really quick. Yeah. I was here, so I assume everything was yeah. within the last 10 years. Yeah. But uh, I think it was a bit longer than that. Um, so, uh, you know, were you... That's an example of you know growth where people have some mixed feelings about it. So the arena is is a tough subject. I mean, it is um, even today. There's no good. There's you know it's uh, it's not paying for itself. And and there were hard the, the hard feelings on that was uh, really the at the time the public um, I don't think supported the um, building of the arena. And the current um, city council kind of pushed it through. It was one of the first examples of 
um, you know, the city building it and it will come type of a thing. And I think the resentment um, of a lot of the folks that weren't in favor of it uh, is still evident today. I mean, any open, uh, any open house type meeting you go to, that it still comes up, that it's still a hot topic. And, um, you know, my view is, is we have the arena, and as long as we have it, we need to figure out uh, how to try to make it successful. I, I don't know how you do that. I know it's a competitive industry. Uh, you watch Peoria, uh, Champaign, some of the other communities. Um, you know, I think it's similar to my business. You have to find a niche and, um, you know, find something that the people here want to see and you can get. Uh, you know, I think Peoria recently has been somewhat successful with classic rock and roll type of thing with uh, Bob Seger and, um, you know, I, I think they had Johnny, John Mellencamp. I call him John Cougar because he's an Indiana guy when I was there. Um, and, uh, you know, even back, you know, a few months, they've had some good classic rock and roll that they uh, had some success with. Um, Champagne. Uh, is a you know college town, and so they you know go for a little younger crowd, and it doesn't seem you know country has been kind of what has worked here, but um, I don't know. I mean we, you know between the Coliseum and the Bloomington Performing Arts Center, and even the Castle Theater have um, you know they all have had some success. Castle has done a great job. I, I've been there several times, and the Performing Arts. Uh, center as well. So I think they all have to find niches. And, um, you know, I I would say they have to have events, you know, that people go to. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we it seems to me like it's vacant. Does anything else stand out in, in um, you know, recent last couple of decades as things that are, in your opinion, particularly good changes or particularly bad changes? Nothing that I can think of, no. I guess getting back to, not, not getting back into the arena discussion, but it says, you know, no matter which side of the, the issue you stand on, it seems like it's created that tension for, for future developments. Is that, that something that you think maybe the community needs to think more deeply about as, as how, to, how to attack uh, future potential opportunities, or, or what direction do you think that, that leads us for, for the future? Well, I think um, when you're looking at something as the Coliseum, um, I, I feel that you really have to have private development input. Um, you know, if it's good enough, you know, it's, for instance, a hotel downtown, if it's a good enough investment that somebody's willing to uh, put their money behind the project, then um, it probably has a chance of, of succeeding. When um, when you build something without private development's commitment, then then you're opening yourself up to you know having a failure. So you know number one, I think um, on large projects like that, uh, you really need to have um, the the private industry get behind it to start with, and and then if the public, um, you know, we can support it or, or help, but it really has, you know, somebody has to raise their hand and take the first step. Do you get the sense that there's there's an appetite there from the private side to get more involved? I guess, you know, 
how do you how do we get you know private development more involved? As uh, it seems like you know the the public side that's that's a mission or has been and maybe rightfully or wrongfully uh, so. But uh, how do how do we maintain that focus or to get the private exci- private side excited about it? And this is coming from Zach, who's in the economic <laughs> development side. So I'll put that plug in there. Um, you know, I think um, one thing. Uh, that the uh, regionally um, we need to do a better job of, and I'll talk about Bloomington first of all. Um, I think we need to do a better job with our vision and communicating that vision um, with, uh, and then you you um, partner with you know the town of Normal and the county of McLean in Central Illinois. And um, you come you come up with a vision that everybody can buy into, and then start doing it. And that's the the uh, one issue. Um, you don't have to do big things, but you have to do some have some successes along the way. Success builds success, and once private development or, or uh, private money, if you will, once they see some success, they're more willing to be a part of that. Um, But it it starts with a good, clear vision that's everybody understands. You know, you can have a vision, but if nobody knows what it is, uh, you know, it's hard to get that message across. So uh, I would, uh, you know, I I would hope that I can help, you know, in, in that area. And, you know, we have several different economic development uh, groups, if you will, and um, they don't always work on that same vision, and we're all kind of competing for the same dollar. But the reality is, if if it's good for Bloomington, if it's good for Normal, it's good for everybody. I mean, they're gonna, you know, buy gas, eat at restaurants, live here, go to our schools, and um, at the end of the day, uh, it's good for everybody. Yeah, I think we can. I think the criticism is fair that you see whenever like Bloomington and Normal are trying to compete for a store. If it's like, if if Normal's going to provide incentive for, um, you know, for a business to move into them from Bloomington, really for the whole community, the net result is is neutral or negative, right? Um, you guys came in here. You know, you're you're didn't you weren't born and raised here so you came here with i through isu or mm-hmm. for sure. somehow yeah. yep. and you don't care about that you, you know the um yeah. if you're 30 years old if you're 25 years old it doesn't if you're 60 years old those things really don't matter now it, it, you know you just want a, somewhere to be able to shop a restaurant that you like to eat at and you don't think about where it's at mm-hmm. and you're right I mean we all we all benefit um, and so we're getting there we will um, you know I know you know I know everybody has that same feeling it's just being able to have some success as a group and then build on that um, and the word gets out pretty quickly yeah I guess I hadn't thought about that before that's a good point if you think back um 20, 30 years ago, the town, the town and the city weren't bumping up against each other as much as they are right now. And in that time, Bloomington's kind of expanded up around on the east side, 
So when you're on Veterans, like, I, I don't even know most of the time if I'm in Bloomington or Normal. Um, like, this place here is called Normal Gadgets, but it was actually in Bloomington, but that never occurred to me. It was over by the Best Buy before. Um, but that, that division was probably more profound uh, previously, and there are probably people still around who have a view of the of Normal and Bloomington being more separate than younger people like us. I think <clears throat> I think part of that is um, school districts. So back in the day, it was Bloomington Normal. You had Central Catholic, you had Jew High. Today, there are, uh, I was told by um, communications director for Unit 5 the other day that there are more uh, kids from Bloomington going to Unit 5 schools than District 87. And so your point is, you don't have that, so you know you, you you know you used to have school where you you know um, supported your your high school or your local school and competed against the other. You know it's not like that uh, as much anymore, and so I think that's part of it. Yeah. So you're um, to go back a little bit. You mentioned that your oldest two children are in Chicago now. Correct. Um, so, do you feel like there's a risk that people are like the next generation's moving out and doesn't see an appeal in Bloomington, or were there unique things that brought them up there? No, I I think that um, as a young person, you need to explore, and um, I I feel very strongly about that. I wanted our, our kids had the opportunity to leave leave Bloomington Normal for college, as I did, and my sisters, and. You know, have an opportunity to meet new people, see new things, you know, experiment, explore. And what better place in Chicago, you know? Um, we love visiting. They, I hope they, you know, they may come back, um, and we would welcome them with open arms. Um, but you really, you know, it's just a good opportunity. You know, Chicago's a great city, as a lot are. Um, I, that's the way I feel. We felt that... Uh, you really need to kind of go out and do that and, and you know, yeah. grow. That's an interesting perspective, too, because as somebody who came here for college and then never really left, I think a lot of people who think like that are, oh, well, how, how do we keep more of our, our high school students here for college or, or, or beyond that? But maybe it sounds more so that we focus on the ones that are here for college because as somebody who's who's lived here, they do want to get out and, and see the rest of the world. Yeah. They And they a lot come back mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it is a great community. Uh, you know, um, in order to keep people in our community, and we've been very lucky with ISU and Wesleyan and Heartland and Lincoln, <clears throat> you have to have good jobs. And, you know, uh, we've had some large employers that have done a super job of that for our community. But as good as this community is, as, as welcoming and as um, all the good things that we have, if you don't have a good, you know, if you don't have a job, and then you're not going to stay. And so, you know, we need to con- continue to be able to bring good jobs to our young people, to everybody. Yeah, the probably one of my own regrets in my life is that I didn't ever live in a big city. I grew up in a, a rural environment and then uh, came to ISU and Champaign for a little bit and then came back here. Um, I think when my wife and I were young and without children, it probably 
it would have been a good time to try that out. But I tell you, when we bring, I got three little kids, four, six, and eight. We try to bring them to the city. A couple days is enough. Like just constantly trying to get <laughs> herd them around. And I think if you live there, it'd be different. It's just the contrast is so different for it. It's a great place to visit. But uh, yes. I miss one of the nice things about Bloomington, right? Is it is so easy to visit Chicago and St. Louis and Indy, and uh, you can get that flavor on a weekend, and then come back here and relax and not have to deal with traffic, right? Exactly. Good. There's a reason we end up on all those lists too for great places for to raise a family and 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 the quality of life I, I think is a, a big part of the draw. Yeah. So uh, one more question and then we'll take a little break. Um, you mentioned now you know your kids are out of the house so you have more time to um, to run for council. Um, what got you interested in in doing that? What was your big motivation? Well, I've always been interested uh, and. You know, I've lived in a in a great community and and had a lot of um, you know just have taken advantage of everything Bloomington Normal has given me and and it's time to give back. You know, you, you at some point in life you look at it and you say you know uh, it, it's my turn to step up and and so with my um, knowledge and background and history of Bloomington. Like I said, our, our business is, you know, dating back to 1876. Um, you know, just that history has um, is one of the reasons. And then the other thing, as an individual, it is a very challenging job. And um, you always want to keep growing and keep getting better and, and learning new things. And, boy, um, it, you will learn new things. And so that has been... Um, really the most fun and challenging part of this is um, you know, just having those opportunities. So yeah. it's uh, been very rewarding. Uh, the campaign is rewarding, and so um, hopefully, you know, I have a chance to keep going. Yeah. All right. Well, before we do a little break, uh, I'm going to do our lightning round here real quick. So I've got a few topics here. And just tell me uh, what comes to mind when you think of these things. Um, just, you know, one to five words, something like that. So, so downtown. Opportunity. The library. Interesting. TIF districts. A tool. Infrastructure. Important. Historic preservation. Also important. And urban sprawl. Challenging. All right. Well, we'll take a break to hear from our sponsor and be right back. The best way to deal with a long, dreary winter is to dream about what you're going to do in summer. If you're dreaming and planning for the summer and those dreams involve sending your kids to summer camp, think about Camp El Dorado, the open-source classroom's makerspace, Cook, Sewell, Juan, Martial Arts Studio, and Play Normal Esports, all located on El Dorado Drive, have come together for a week of great activities. There's an entire week full of 3D printing, online gaming, and martial arts for only $600. There's three different sessions. You drop off at 8.30, you can pick them up at 4.30, and they are happily entertained all day. To find out more information, search online for Camp El Dorado or go to osc3d.com. That's opensourceclassroom3d.com slash summer camps. All 
right, here with Chip Frank, and uh, time to talk a little bit about the platform for yourself as well. Um, uh, some of the big bullet points, fiscal responsibility, infrastructure, public safety. Uh, fiscal responsibility always on the minds of, of everyone when it's uh, dealing with the council and uh, a little bit timely with the, the new budget being announced this, this week. So uh, I'll let you go ahead and uh, have the floor on the, the discussion over the finances. Yeah, so I think uh, a council, uh, any alder person, needs to have a strong fiscal understanding of the uh, city finances. Um, and, you know, in Bloomington Normal, we have a, a budget of $200 million plus. And um, you really, when you get right down to it and you look at that, there is very little discretionary spending. You have a budget of 210, 214 million, and and more than 90 percent of that is already accounted for. So, um, as a new council person, um, you're you're joining. You know, I'm running for an open seat. Amelia Burgess is is not seeking a new. Uh, seeking re-election, and so whoever has a Ward 4 seat is coming into a council with eight other people uh, that already have agendas and, and ideas and thoughts, and so um, just an understanding of the budget, where the money's going, how the money's coming in, and then um, working with those other uh, council people, other aldermen, to prioritize the projects that we want to do, and uh, and then start doing them. You know, the bottom line is is um, we can talk, 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 but let's just start doing some of it. Well, you know, and as a Bloomington resident myself, the, something that I've I've noticed is sometimes it's been a, a struggle to even get those conversations going. How do you how do you help maybe tip the balance in in that uh, that arena to get those those things moving forward? Yeah, so um, not having a an agenda, so to speak, um, I am um, I feel like I'm a good listener. And um, I can bring people together to achieve those things by listening, by understanding what they want, how they want to do it. And so, you know, I've already met with several uh, of current uh, aldermen or older people and um, several staff uh, for the city. And you know what? Everybody wants uh good, you know, they want, we all want the same thing. You know, we want um, strong infrastructure, good public safety, and um, it's just how you, you accomplish those. You know, everybody has a personality. Everybody does things a little bit differently. And so I, I feel that I can bring, um, you know, a presence that will bring people together to accomplish some of those things. Like I said, let's just work on some of the things that we can accomplish uh, do do them one at a time, get them done, and then next thing you know, we're going to be doing some of the big ones. So, low fruit, so to speak. <laughs> so, I, I, you might have tipped your hand to this question. There's nowhere specific that you, you're looking at starting or any areas that really jump out to you maybe in the budget? No. I mean, I think our budget, uh, they have done a, uh, you know, a good job. Obviously, we want to increase um, the revenue side. 
but that's hard. And, and so without raising, I'm, I don't want to raise taxes or fees. So without raising taxes or fees, you have to generate uh, income in other ways. And the best way to do that is strong ec- economic growth. To do that, you have to accomplish some of these things that we've talked about in the vision of Bloomington. And so let's just start doing it. Um, you know, infrastructure is a big, big problem for us in Bloomington because we're uh, we have some older parts of the city and um you know our um our roads and streets have been neglected um over the past several years uh the director has asked for you know x number of dollars and and has never received uh, that amount and sometimes hardly anything so it's hard to maintain streets and roads and sidewalks without you know money <laughs> yeah. and so um, I think this year he he probably will um, get what he's asked for or close to it so you know that's a step um, the sewer issues uh, you know I think the mayor told me we are somewhere in the neighborhood of 140 to 150 million dollars uh, is what the sewer is going to cost to to fix. We've done a pretty good job over the last three or four years of uh, understanding what needs to be done. And, um, and, and I know that, um, you know, the plan would be, and we need to continue to be proactive. So when we redo a road, we need to redo the, the sewers first. So you're not digging that road up, you know, a year or two later. And um, they, this is no new information. This is stuff that, you know, those guys work on every day. But um, we just need to get that, you know, that message out that that's how we're doing it. Uh, and so $150, $140 million for sewers, that's a lot of money. So we have to figure out how we're going to pay for that. Public safety is, you know, really what a municipality is all about, right? Um, taking care of the citizens. And um, we're fortunate that um, I think we do a very good job with the police and fire. And, um, you know, we need to continue to give them the resources that they need to be successful. Uh, you know, we've, we've made some poor decisions in uh, locating a fire department here or there. Um, and we probably could have partnered with the town of Normal on, on another one at one point. Those are all behind us. And we just need to move into the future and, and you know, realize what we're good at as a municipality and then, and then do it. <laughs> well, as you pointed out earlier, as an uh, economic development guy myself, uh, with with infrastructure, it is so critical to, at least if if that hasn't been the focus in the past, to to recenter on on keeping that infrastructure up to speed. It is a it is a big challenge there, and it, and I think it's important to maintain. It's going to take some time. Is, is that the the thought? Uh, Definitely. I mean, you you know. Um, I think the the budgeted amount right now, or uh, for five million for roads and sidewalks, is you know obviously not enough money to to do what we need to do, but it is a step. And um, you know I know they have prioritized uh, those streets that need to be done, and um, so the plan's there. You just have to fund it properly uh, over the next five, ten years so that we can get the job done. In the Midwest, we're never going to have perfect streets. I think even at that 
budgeted an amount, I think they, that gets us to a fair level, um, and uh, which is kind of an average road. But I don't know that you ever get better than that in the you know, Midwest. Um, so let's get there, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty discouraging to hear Jim Karch, the public works director, say, um, you know, I need this much. I think he said six, seven million, somewhere in that range, just to keep it like it is, and then not even have that amount allocated. It's really not a good look. Um, so you mentioned uh, in the first part about the finances, how most of it's already pretty locked in and allocated, um, and some of it's discretionary. So when you when you think about you know, fiscal responsibility, um, does anything come to mind in in recent history that's occurred where you're like, yeah, that was a really poor fiscal choice that the city made. If I was on there, I wouldn't have voted for that. Well, um, you know, I'm not going to point direct point fingers at guys. Uh, you know, first of all, anybody that serves as a in that capacity, uh, they're doing it for the right reasons, and, and they're making decisions at that point that they think are the right decisions. We, you know, we don't have crystal balls. I respect everybody that has done that. I know how hard it is, and um, and so all you can do is is move into the future and go from here. You know, we do need to probably, you know, we have some, uh, we have, you know, a pool at O'Neill Park, and we have a library that you mentioned, and we have. Um, you know, a water facility that um, is aging, the, you know, those are big ticket items. And then we have a host of other things that are smaller ticket items. So as a, as a group, again, coming in as a freshman, so to speak, um, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say this is what we need to do. What I need to do is meet with the rest of the people, the mayor and the other eight council members, and um, prioritize those. And then, again, like I said, work the plan. Plan it, work the plan, and then have some success. Um, we need all those things. Um, but, you know, in what order and how we're going to do it or you know, is a different question. So it's always, you know, that's where it comes down to. It's the details of the, of the plan that uh, is always the hardest. But you don't get there, first of all, if you don't know what what it is, to, what it takes to get there, and and you don't get there if you don't take the first step. Yeah, it's good to hear you say that. Um, I've heard that from a lot of the candidates, and it's encouraging to hear that there's more of a spirit of unity coming into this. If you compare Bloomington and Normal, Bloomington seems to have a lot more uh, open conflict uh, over issues. Uh, sometimes over issues that where you're kind of confused why there is so much conflict over it, and. Um, at least from the outside looking in, it seems that they're not having those those you know more private, focused, personal conversations to try to air out some of their grievances. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that we can see more unity in the future. And that doesn't mean everyone has to agree with everything, but you understand the other people around the table and where their goals are, and um, you know you you show some respect for that at the same time. Good to hear. Yeah, very important. And, and in addition to that, um, you know, you have you have the citizens or the uh, citizens of our community that you know it's really what they want. And I have found in in past leadership uh, positions that 
when somebody is raising their hand because they're upset with what you're doing or they don't agree with how it's being done, they're really asking to be a part of the solution. And so we need to include as much diversity and as many, uh, you know, just because you disagree with what I say doesn't mean you have something that's important to hear. And we need to include as many of the, you know, as many people that want to raise their hand. We need to find out a way to get them involved because that's how you come up with solutions. And, um, you know, if anybody were to sit here and say they have the answers, um, then they're probably not the right person for the job. Uh, thinking about public safety and, and uh, some of the inclusion in the conversation there, that's uh, been a hot topic over the last year or so in the city uh, with the, the discussion over the police review board at one point. Uh, so from a public safety standpoint, uh, do, do does, it, does it feel like the right people are at the table now for that discussion? Well, I hope so. Uh, you know, I certainly don't see any reason not to believe that. Um, you know, we there was a meeting last night that I went to that uh, Chief Wheeler uh, hosted, and he has done four of those or six of those uh, a year. It was well attended last night, and um, you know, number the the numbers are getting better. It, you know, so that's a step in the right direction. There, um, I think the the tenor of that meeting, if I were to describe it from from my perspective is that um, it's really a cultural issue, so it's all of our issue. And the police are doing, you know, police and fire do their job to the best of their ability. And it's not their job to change culture. And and it's not, our, you know, so society has to figure out a way. And, and I think, you know, two-thirds or three-quarters of the room of the people in attendance last night were doing that right now. That's what they're doing. And so we need to help them do their job. So when you're thinking public safety, it's not something like, um, you know, we need a fire station here, or we need a police outpost here, or we need to get this equipment for uh, the, you know, this police force. It's something more expansive of looking broader at the causes of uh, crime and of danger in our community and, and looking holistically at it. Yes. Yeah, I, I think as a, a, an elected official in a municipality, we look at big picture stuff. And um, a, a case in point, on, you're on the planning commission, and we have you know maybe ten or twelve uh, boards or commissions, and there are you know four or five departments in the in the town now. Those guys make those decisions. They need to know where the fire department goes, where the next fire station should go, and, and how many people they need to run their operation. That's not something. I'm not a city manager. I'm, I'm not an expert in municipality law or anything like that. Um, we need to have a big picture look at that and take all the work that the commission and boards are doing, all the staff people, and, and use that those as our resources so that we can make those good decisions. I mean, the one fire, I don't know how uh, the fire station out on Fox Creek area, you know, how that happened. Not only was it obviously a bad decision, but a poor uh, design. Um, I know recently that the town of Normal um, was looking at putting or is looking at putting a station out in the northeast part of town. And, um, you know, I don't know if, if we want to do that in the city of Bloomington, but it doesn't seem uh, 
necessary to build two of them within, you know, a half mile of each other. So there are some abilities to partner with, you know, the county or the town of Normal, but those aren't, you know, I don't know that those are good or bad decisions. Those have to come up through the rank, so to speak, from the people that really know those, you know. Yeah. And, and then we just look at big picture. So, yes, cultural um, is, you know, uh, is a big part of crime. Well, you talked about uh, downtown and historic preservation as well. Those are two areas where they, they can be included. Are there other areas of, of the city that you really think of from a historical standpoint? There's a lot of rich history throughout the city of Bloomington. Um, are there any places that stand out that you really think need to, to, to be preserved? Well, um, you know, our first home was on Grove Street, and it was a hundred-and-some-year-old house, and we love it. You know, we love the neighborhood. We love the kids walking to school. All that is really what I envisioned Bloomington to be. We moved because we needed, you know, when our kids got big enough to have friends come over, you know, we were getting kicked up to the bedroom. And I'm like, you know, it's 8 o'clock on a Friday night. You know, what am I doing in my bedroom? <laughs> and so we needed a house with a basement. And, um, you know, some of those older neighborhoods didn't didn't have what we were looking for. Um, so, yes, there are pockets throughout the, the town. I know, you know, some the Founders Grove and Dimmitt's Grove and the Franklin Park, and those are all areas that they take that very seriously, and um, we need to, too. I mean, that's part of the part of our community, and, and we need to understand that better. The downtown is... Uh, uh, is a challenge, and it's a good example of, uh, you know, developing a vision and um, coming together with that vision and then work the plan. And I think if you, if uh, private development will, would, will see some of the things that we've, we will accomplish if we can do that, then you're going to get more interest for businesses to move down there. And, you know, pretty soon we're going to have a pretty good area. But I think that downtown is an opportunity. I think it uh, it is um, the beating heart of a community. And all communities need a strong downtown. And we have some good, um, you know, we have... Uh, great restaurants. We have a good entertainment. Uh, we have, you know, the Coliseum and the Performing Arts Center. So we have a cultural district. We have um, the Law and Justice Center, which is a business that brings businesses down. And um, we really can parlay some of those things into um we have a good artist community, and if we can bring all those together and make it into a, uh, a destination that everybody, you know, enjoys, that you can walk, and um, I think that will be a great step for us. Yeah. If there's one thing I'm hopeful for in a new council is some more action on the downtown task force. Um, that A lot of people worked really hard on that, and it just sort of died on them. Uh, I don't know if it died on the vine is not the right thing to say, but it got caught up in some kind of gears of government there. And I don't know if the breakdown was council or staff or I don't don't know that I really care that much. But I, I do care about seeing downtown thrive. And, um, you know, I really believe small investments in downtown, um, you know, making sure that there's enough garbage pickup, getting some nice lighting, maybe some... Um, painted crosswalks, just a little bit of 
minor stuff by the city, and then that, that gets that momentum going for the private business to see, like, yeah, this is a place we can be, right? Those downtown business owners are very passionate about what they do. They're very passionate, and and that task force did a very good job. Um, I, I think, um, and a lot of good ideas from that plan. The you know I don't know if it, if the library was what bogged it down or the hotel or any you know those types of things, but um, we can certainly take a lot of the stuff from that plan and start doing it. Yeah. You know, like you said, the garbage and the, you know, just the the lighting and, you know, those are not expensive things. But when you do that, you need to make sure you look forward enough that when you're doing the lighting, you know, what type of lighting, where do you want it, what else can you do? You, you know, we can maybe do, you know, have the Internet connections and, the you know, all that type of stuff tied in. So you do it once. Yeah. And, um, and so it's easy to do. You just have to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely picking that up as a theme, and I appreciate that theme. Um, I, I think I have uh, actually yelled that at my computer a few times uh, when I've watched Bloomington City Council meetings. <laughs> just do it, do it. So I, I like that refrain. Well, we're getting uh, kind of close to wrapping up here. Are there any topics that are other topics we haven't talked about that are particularly important to you that you want to go over? Yeah, there I do. Um, so then you're on the Bloomington Planning Commission, right? Tell me about it. Planning Commission. Yeah. What's what's so? Um, you know, we, you have some issues going on right now, mm-hmm. and you just came forward with a plan. And um, let's talk a little bit about that because I I'm interested in. in how that came about and, and why you're doing those, you know, making those things, revisions. the zoning revisions. Yeah. And then you have, and then if you have, if we have enough time, mm-hmm. tell me a little bit how that ties in with the historic pre- preservation side of things um, because they all kind of go hand in hand on yeah, some of those yeah. things. Um, so I came on in May or April, some, sometime last year. I've been on there less than a year. This was already in full swing. Um, it's too bad that uh, Justin, the guy who usually uh, who Zach is subbing in for, he's actually the chair of the planning commission, so he's been around longer. Um, but we just haven't really done a, a big overhaul of our zoning ordinances in a long time. They are they're pretty hard to read through. Uh, it's difficult to find references that you're looking for. It's kind of like an insurance policy. <sighs> yeah, it sounds like it. Yep. Um, if you if you take enough time, you can find what you need. But the organization is not there. It's it's outdated. It refers to, you know, some things that don't exist anymore. Like I think there's like a telegraph operating uh, facility and things of that nature. There's also things that are new now that people do that we need to decide if we want to have them or not so um chicken keeping beekeeping uh solar panels wind energy um things of that nature that need to be updated in the code so that's that's sort of like conceptually and logistically at a high level the types of things it's trying to do is just update it and refresh it for 2019 and and going forward so what's the impetus on that? I mean, who brings that to you? Where you know mm-hmm. the, the check-in, the bees, the zoning issues. You know, multifamily versus yeah. no multi. I mean, where where does that start? Um, so it comes from the city council. I think staff would probably recommend it. Then the community development department would 
you know, bring that up as something that needs to be done. Uh, we hired a consultant from Chicago to, uh, who specializes in these types of things to give a comparison of our code to what's done in other similar municipalities. Uh, so there's the cost associated with that and just also the vision of the council. So if we're going to revise it, what's the goal? Is the goal to, um, is it just to simplify the code? Is the goal to encourage economic development? Is the goal to, um, you know, like improve the environment? You know, like sort of that strategic level like you talked about. They're not going to go into the weeds of it. But, uh, well, they shouldn't go into the weeds of it. But just provide, like, what are we doing here? And um, so we had our new comprehensive plan. We want to make sure that the things from the comprehensive plan are implemented in there and also that we're keeping up to speed with what other municipalities are doing. Um, so the chicken and the bees, those got a lot of media attention from it because that's you know, it's sort of new, it's interesting. It's, uh, and then there's also a very lively beekeeper community in Bloomington, um, and they, were, they showed up in force at our public comment and are very passionate about what they do. And uh, I think that's one of those times when you know, uh, here on sitting on the planning commission, you're going to make some kind of decision, but that's going to affect their ability to do or not to do their hobby on their property, right? So that's a very weighty decision about what what you're going to allow this person the right to do. It's not something that uh, it's something that should not be taken lightly, I guess. Um, so we've passed it now, and it's... Well, sorry, not passed it. We've recommended that the council pass it. That that's the power of the Planning Commission. Um, as far as when you mentioned the issue with historic preservation, if you've heard about that, um, the conflict there was that there, this wasn't changed in the new zoning ordinance, but it was... Um, it called... The fact that it was being combed through called attention to the fact that certain areas, in particular areas of Demets Grove, were allowed to have very high residential density, up to like 70 units per acre, which is basically like an apartment building could be built. So there wasn't anything in there that said that someone couldn't come in, buy a historic home that's been in Bloomington for 100 plus years, knock it down, build a condo there. And as that that's just because it's adjacent to a downtown. So if you're thinking like, you know, if you look back in the sixties when we made this code, Bloomington could have been two hundred fifty thousand people by now. We didn't know. So if that's the case, the areas adjacent the residential areas adjacent to downtown, you're gonna want some pretty high density there. As things happened, we kinda had sprawl, but now the population's kinda steady and that's just really not the character of those neighborhoods to have that high density of housing. So um, what we eventually decided to do was just we didn't want to do a knee-jerk reaction to this, and it's been around for decades now, and that hasn't happened. So we recommended to council that a separate initiative be kicked off to focus specifically on that point of that, um, I think it's R R3B R zoning district, to see uh, if we if all the areas zoned for that should still be zoned for that, or if uh, we should change the wording or if we should change the number or that kind of thing. But uh, we had enough information to see there's probably an issue there, but not something that we can easily just solve with, a, you know, the strike of a pen. So, um, yeah. Does that 
Yeah, I mean, I, I yes, exactly. I, you know, when I've been out knocking on doors, uh, people are asking me about that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's always good to go to the source. Yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about it because uh, I think it's a pretty it's a behind the scenes thing and it's kind of a geeky technical thing but uh, good for actuary yeah yeah it's good for someone who likes to dig through or, or an insurance person in general right to dig through that stuff so um yeah it's it's also a great example of how people can influence their government too because like i mentioned that we had just sort of a boilerplate beekeeping language that we had taken from you know the consultant from another area and put it in there now, when people started who knew about it came in and looked at it, they're like, "This isn't going to work. This doesn't make any sense. I'm going to have to move my beehive and kill all my bees in order to do this. Like, we don't want to do that." Um, other people, we got input from um, from a local landscaper on some of the landscaping revisions, where he's like, "I work in this business and I wouldn't know how to implement these things. And if you allow this type of stone here." It's going to run off with water, and then it's going to get caught in car tires. It's going to flick up and break windshields. You want it to be, you know, 10 centimeters instead of 2 centimeters. It's something no one, no one in the city or on the, you know, is going to know about that. But you bring the experts in, you collaborate with them, you listen to them, and then you can make it better for everybody. Uh, it's a pretty, pretty neat experience. So, yeah. Um, anything else uh, That's that I can think of. Thank All you right. for your time. Thank you for your... Work on the commission and yeah. on the EDC. Appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks, sir. Uh, if someone wants to learn more about you or your platform or get in touch with you, what would be the best place to do that? You know, I'm uh, my best would be my Facebook. Okay. Um, you know, I I am not a uh, social media guy, and um, and I'm not a very good Facebook guy. <laughs> but um, you know, I my kids have helped me a little bit with that, so that would be my the best spot. Okay. I try to post when I'm walking and what neighborhoods I'm in and that type of thing. Okay. So, Is that Chip Frank for... Chip Don, Don Chip Frank for City Council. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again uh, for coming in for the conversation, especially I I would, uh, I definitely appreciated your hesitancy since I, um, I'm Julie's treasurer. Um, so uh, hopefully we were we were fair, and I just enjoyed meeting you and talking to you. Yep, same here. Good luck on April 2nd. Thank you. Thanks. And that wraps up our conversation with Chip Frank. I want to thank you all for continuing to listen to us. I am happy to say that in every day in February, at least one person and as many as 40 people listen to our podcast. I've gotten a lot of kind comments from people who have taken time out of their busy life to sit down and listen to us jabber on for a bit. And uh, it's, it's, it's cool. It's fun to make something. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, on PodBN. Uh, I'd really like to get to 350 likes. So um, if you guys could help us out with that, I think we only need about 25 more people. If you can just extend out an invitation to the page for one or two other people who you think might be interested, it'd be great to clear that 350 benchmark. And uh, Little Beaver Brewery told us that if we uh, get over that, they'll give us some free samples of some of their new brews. So I have a vested interest in, in you helping me with that. But the good news is I get to try them for you guys. So if they're absolutely horrible, I can tell them ahead of time so that they don't uh, that they don't waste beer on other people. They can just give 
give all of the, you know, we can just scrap that barrel, send it over to my place, I'll dispose of it, and then they can try again next time. Owning a small business is a matter of trial and error, figuring out what works. I'm happy to sacrifice myself for the cause. That's all for us today. Thanks for listening. So please support them because they support us. They support us, so I'm going to encourage you to go ahead and get out there and support them. And local businesses are in in it together. And a lot of local businesses 